This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Chapter number 12, we're going to continue our series today in regards to uh, all of the book of Romans, but today it's going to zone in on using your gifts, living in community and using your gifts. But in order for us to do that, I want to quickly kind of run through where we are in Romans. Every week we're having new people here and there's no way that I can extend the, the intro, but I can just kind of walk through uh, where we have been. The first thing that we have to see is this, we all have sinned. The line is flat. All of us in this room need Jesus. Um, Romans shows us that we've sinned in three specific ways. One would be this. We prefer creation over the creator. We don't want God. We want his stuff. We believe, number two, we believe in lies over the truth. We think we're smarter than God. We think God doesn't understand our situation. He doesn't know our culture. Uh, He's out of touch, and so we are smarter than him. Number three, we don't acknowledge God as the giver of all good things. And so we celebrate our own strengths rather than giving credit to the one who's worthy of all that we even have. I mean, he's the giver of all gifts. So we fix our lives upon him, but instead we set our lives upon ourselves and acknowledge that we have all these strengths, and today that will help us in context to where we're going to be studying. So keep that in mind. But the good news is God has not forsaken us. Can you say amen to that? God has not forsaken us. There is this gospel message that Jesus, because of His love, God sent His Son, Jesus. And hear me on this, because this will dive into what we're going to be talking about today. God became a servant. God himself became a servant. He sent his son Jesus to serve us. How profound is that, that by his work, by his service of us, that we have been justified. That's a legal term that says we've been declared righteous. We are right before God because of Jesus' work. Redemption is A marketplace term that declares this, we are free. He's purchased our freedom. Propitiation is this religious term that says the sacrifice has been made so that a gracious God can act graciously towards us. That even though we've sinned, God has not forsaken us and He has served us. He has sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us and here's what We have now, we put our faith and trust in His work rather than in our work. So instead of trusting in our works to make us right before God, we trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's faith. And because of Jesus' work and, and our faith that is in Him, we are brought into union with God. We're brought back into covenant relationship with God. We are one with God through Christ. 
What do we get in salvation? We get restored relationship with God. Everything now that is true about Jesus is true about us because we are in Him. And not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us by the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in us. Beautiful and powerful truth that is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us now we get to live out this faith because of the power and the grace that God has placed within us. We get to live this out by His power. We didn't have the power to do it in our own strength, but His Spirit lives within us. And the only response, if you believe all the things that we talked about, the only response to this kind of truth is worship. True worship. Presenting our bodies to Him. We talked about this last week. If we believe all of those gospel truths, that it's not my work, I've sinned, but Jesus has come and served me and given His life for me and He's sacrificed Himself for me and by faith I get to be in relationship and oneness with Him and His Spirit dwells within me. If all of that is true, the only response is to say, here's my body. It's a living sacrifice. I give it to you. And then, last week we talked about theology. That's correct belief. That's correct understanding. Doesn't lead to you looking at somebody and saying, I'm smarter than you. Theology doesn't lead to elevated thinking. It's not just this idea of me looking at somebody else and going, I'm smarter than you. Theology leads to doxology, which is this praise. When I understand who God is... There's this outburst of praise. There's nothing more that I can do but to point to him and say, how wonderful you are. And then orthodoxy, which is right belief, leads to orthopraxy. We talked about this last week, that the only response, if my thinking and my mind is renewed and, on, and God has done this work and I have this good belief, it's going to lead to good practice. Life before God, all of life, is all for Jesus. That's the life that we get to live before God. And that's what we studied last week in Romans 12. Now, out of this chapter, as we read Romans chapter 3 through 8, as we just kind of ran through 12, 11 chapters in the overview, this can make sense now to where we're at. So let's stand together in Romans chapter 12. Verses 3 through 8. And the reason why we stand is because we believe this is God's word. We want to distinguish this part in the service from just me babbling <laughs> to the truth that this is God's word. So let's keep that in mind as we read Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, in 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhorting, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God, would you take these words and sink them deep into our hearts by your Spirit. Let them take root into us that we would understand and know and live out that which you are calling us into. We need your Spirit today to open our eyes and our ears your spirit as we go into this week to live these things out. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm not strategic enough nor smart enough to plan such an incredible series to begin to start today in Romans chapter 12, and we've been going through Romans for by the end of this thing through two years. So for it to fall on the day that we launch back after summer into our RCs, let me tell you this, was not planned by me, but believe me, it was planned by God Himself, His Spirit moving, orchestrating such a perfect time to think about living life in community and using the gifts God has given to us. No better time to talk about that than the week that we're challenging everyone to make sure they're living this life out. So hear me when I say this. I couldn't preach a better message than if I was to plan it myself. What are we going to learn today? Here's what we're going to learn, and I'm going to put all the cards on the table. That way you don't feel like I slid it in on the back end, right? It's going to be, it's going to be there. You're going to know this all the way through. Here's what I want you to see. Out of Romans 12, verse 1, it says, In view of God's mercy... Something happens. When we see God's mercy, when we have a good view of who God is, it shapes the way you view yourself and it shapes the way you view the church. That's what we're going to zone in on today. If you have this gospel view, you will see yourself differently and you will see the church differently. Now, the first verse, and we're going to kind of walk through this, and hopefully I'll be able to dive into a couple of things, but the first verse we looked at in verse 3 says this. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The illustration, if, if we could put this in modern terms, Paul is saying, uh, do not be the people in the first few episodes of American Idol, right? Don't be those people. Like, those are the best episodes to watch because there are literally people who go in in front of judges and they stand there with great confidence and they're just like, ha, 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 uh, And the judges literally tell them for the first time in their life, you are horrible. And then all the people who hate reality shows go, they're so mean. No, listen, everybody who was in their life for all those years, like that cannot be the first time they opened their mouths and sang. All of those people who for the first time in their lives just heard you are horrible, that means there were so many people in their life and community who lied to them. Who said, girl, you got it, girl. Keep going, but just don't do it around me, okay? Just use that gift somewhere else, you know? For the first time in their lives, they had judges on a reality show who told them, and, and here's the problem. 
all the people who hated them, who would never say, it's not you, who would never say, you don't got it. Let them get humiliated in front of the whole nation, right? Like they couldn't care enough about them to have so much of Now, not only all the people around them, but even themselves, like they have a tone deafness, whatever it may be, but they go up there and they just let it all fly. Why? They think too highly of themselves. They don't have sober judgment, as the Bible says. Here, here is what cannot happen when you have a good view of God. You can't think too highly of yourself and you can't think too lowly of yourself. You have sober judgment. You have objective clarity about who you are. This is what happens when when we have a good view of God, we, we have this prayer. God, help me see myself the way you see me, the way you created me to be. And Paul uses his life as an example. Paul is an apostle, which is in, in, in the church's time in Scripture, these are the ones who, capital A apostles, these are the ones who have been given this great gift, gift to speak authoritatively, to write Scripture. This guy has elevated into this position, but listen to how he describes it. He says in verse 3, by the grace given to me. He realizes that this apostolic gift that he has has nothing to do with how he's earned it, has nothing to do with how good of a person he is. It has everything to do with God giving him this gift of grace. It's always surprising to me when pastors, apostles, bishops, reverends, quotes, prophets, evangelists, it always surprises me when they get proud of who they are and are trying to elevate into a position of authority in the church and get to a place where everybody will look at them and know how incredible they are and they want everybody to, to come to them and, 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 and hear the word from the bishop and, and never question them and just submit to their authority. It always surprises me by which the place they find their authority is in their giftedness where Paul says, my giftedness is not by which I'm coming to you. It is this understanding of sober-mindedness. I know that this position is a gift from God. Why can I boast in anything that was given to me? Why wouldn't I boast in the one who gave it to me? It's like boasting in a seven-foot dude who can dunk a basketball like we if he could make a jump shot you should be boasting right but the reality is dude you were seven foot what did you do to become seven foot nothing you did nothing genetics took like god gave you that and you could dunk a ball good job Right? No, that has nothing to do with something to boast in himself. This is something that just came. God gave him this grace gift, and so instead of boasting in the gift, he boasts in God's grace. If our faith is in Christ, if we have an understanding of what God's given to us, 
We can't think too highly of ourselves. But the other thing is, if we know that God's given us by His grace, we don't think too lowly of ourselves either. There's something incredible about having a proper perspective of who you are in view of God's mercy. I've had many people who come from backgrounds where if you say, man, I'm a sinner, I've sinned. They go, D -d don't say that. Don't, don't say that. Say, you're a saint. You know, that's, a, that's all you should say. Yeah, I am a saint because of God's grace for sure. But I have sober enough judgment to know that there is sin that has racked my life and background in, in, in every situation in my life. I can boast in God's grace, but I can also be aware of my weakness. What does that take? Sober judgment. Church, if you're going to use the gifts that God has given to you by His grace, you have to beware, like Paul warns up front, beware of pride because there's something in you that once you start using the gifts God has given to you, you start loving the applause of people who get the benefit of it. And something can happen, just like we saw what the root of sin is. The people have sinned in three ways. And one is they like to take credit for themselves rather than let it roll off. See, there's, there's something beautiful about being able to look at things and enjoy them and not let that enjoyment rest or terminate on that created thing, but let it bounce off and go to the one who created it. It's one thing to enjoy a good dinner. It's another thing to enjoy a good dinner and let it bounce off those tastes, the, the flavor, the fellowship, everything that took place, and let that bounce off of the dinner and say, man, God has blessed me. Thank you, God, for this gift. You see, when we let the applause and the gratitude and the things hit on us, and just land on us, and we want it to terminate on us, pride begins to kick in, and Paul's warning them, listen, if I'm going to teach you on gifts, I'm going to teach you on being in community, the thing we need to be careful of most is pride. So, the first thing we look at is the mindset of love. Why are we doing this all under the banner of love? Well, we're going to look in chapter 9, in verse 9, which we're going to study next week. He says, let your love be genuine. So we're doing a whole series on love. And why are we doing this on love? Because under this banner of love, there comes uh, real uh, ways of living out love. So what he's addressing under this banner is this. What is the mindset of love? It's to think soberly. It's not to think too highly of yourself. It's not to think too lowly of yourself. The mindset of love is to think soberly. Not to let worship terminate on yourself. Not to let the applause terminate on you. But to always realize, like Paul, that this is a gift of grace. It needs to bounce off me and it needs to be pointed to the one who's worthy of the worship. Now, verses 4 and 5 shows us the home of love. The home of love. The mindset of love is sober judgment. The home of love is family. 
Now, this is hard for us to understand. If you look at verse 4 and 5, and I, I want you to see this with your own eyes, it says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, are one body in Christ and individually members with one another. The way Scripture speaks of the church is a lot different than the way we speak of the church. I'm, I'm going to just say it as clearly as possible. We have a very twisted view of the church. We think of the church as an organization. The Bible speaks of the church as an organism. We think of the church as an institution. The Bible speaks of the church as an individual. We speak of the church as a place. The Bible speaks of the church as a people. We speak of it in many ways as a marketing firm. The Bible speaks of it as a family. He uses this body analogy. And in that analogy, he talks about in a body, there's unity, but there's diversity, there's mutuality, there's independence, there's interdependence. And I think we should be really careful, especially in our day and age, of talking of the church more as a body. Why? Because it's harder to leave a body. It's easy to leave an organization. It's hard to leave an organism. It's interesting to me, when people get ready to leave a church, they start talking about that church as if they're not a part of it. They talk in this way, they do this, they never do this. They said this, they do this, they walk this way, they talk this way. And the reality is, all of a sudden, in their minds, they have disconnected themselves from the church. But here, here's what we have to be really careful of. Scripture shows us you cannot be a part of Christ and not be a part of his body. If you want to be a part of Christ, you can't be a part of Christ without being a part of his body. This scripture shows us that in order for us as, as Christ's people to be a part of Christ, we are now also members with one another. Now, this is a key verse where I could take a kind of a, a detour if I wanted to promote that in fall we're going to have a membership class. But I won't take that detour. I do think it's important for us to formally be members and for us to functionally be members of a body. Wave your hand, Wayne. Hey. Okay. <laughs> Why? Why is this important? This is important because many of us feel as if we are one with Christ, the church is over here, and we can live in this place where we love God, but we don't love His people functionally in community. Scripture makes it very clear that's not a reality. That's a dream. That's something you've made up in your head. That's not a reality. When we are members with Christ, we are members with one another. And the important thing for us to really grab a hold of is if we're going to talk about the church, 
we need to make sure that we don't talk about it as if we are separate from it. I work in a parachurch organization called Crisis Pregnancy Center. One thing that can happen in those places is they talk about the church because they're a parachurch organization as if it's a separate organization. And we're doing all we can to say, man, we're one we're one organism, although we have different functions. There's one organism, and inside of that, we had a, a time where we were meeting together, and it started to feel that way, and I said, hold on, everybody, if we're going to talk about the church as if they're the ones failing, and we put ourselves on the outside in their judgment, you've got to be careful, because there's one accuser of the brethren in Scripture, and that's Satan himself. Either you are one of them, or you are an accuser of one of them. Be very careful in what position you put yourself against the bride of Christ, against the body of Christ, against the people of God. Now listen, I also know what it's like to be in a family when I see one of my brothers doing something foolish. I can make fun of them, but you can't. I had some people make fun of my brothers over things that were true about them. But still, you're not their brother. You don't say nothing. We would stand up for each other. Why? Because we are brothers. And then pull them aside and say, listen, now the truth comes out. Why? Because we're family. We protect one another for sure, but there is a sense inside of that where we can speak openly and truthfully. Why? Because we are one and your weaknesses and your, your, your sins and those things affect all of us. So when I see the body sinning, I don't speak and say, they're sinning. I say, this is a sin in our body. We need to deal with it. We need to deal with this. Not they're doing this and I'm cool. Why? Because I'm members with you. You're members with me. We're members with Christ. And we are one body. When we speak of the church, we need to speak of the church as if we're a part of it. Why? Because that's how Scripture speaks of it. Don't speak of it as an organization. Speak of it as an organism, as an individual, as a people in which by Christ's good work and grace because of the view of God's mercy, we have been brought into this family, not by any works of our own, not because we're clean and perfect, but because of God's grace, He has brought us all together. Can the church say amen to that? And if you didn't say amen, you must not be in the church. Just kidding. Just kidding. We are one people. members with Christ, members with one another. Verses 6 through 8 now go into the practice of love. So the mindset of love is sober judgment. It's not pride. It's not, um, it's not thinking too highly of yourself. The home of love is the family. The practice of love is service. Now, if we look at verses 6 through 8, and I think we should look there together just to get kind of a good picture. He's saying we all have different gifts according to what? Grace. According to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Then it goes through a whole list of gifts. Seven. Prophecy. Exhortation. Service. Faith. Contributions or generosity, leadership, acts of mercy. 
goes through this list of gifts. Now, here's what I want you to, to make sure you're, you're clear on. Paul's giving examples. He's not giving an exhaustive list. Like, this is not all the gifts, right? This is just a examples of gifts. It's not a complete list. Now, many of people in this room would, would, would look at this and go, man, what we need to really spend the whole day on is talking about what each one of these gifts mean and, and spending a bunch of time trying to dive into what's prophecy and, and what's this and what's that. There's all these gifts that are listed. And now, listen, I know I have one service, and although that might be important, I think if I dive into each individual gift and try to break each one down and tell you what each one means we will miss the overall point of what Paul's trying to say. And so in order for us to kind of keep moving forward, one of our pastors, Luke Simmons, has posted on the website today an an article on, on prophecy. I think that's the one most of us would probably have the most questions about. So if you want to go on the website, check that out. It's great. There's a lot of different, you know, debates and struggles. And I don't want to fall into the weeds when it comes to these gifts. I just want us to get to the main point in which Paul is speaking of. And although I think it's important for us to understand the gifts and work through what these gifts are, I also know that we can fall into pinpointing these things and falling into arguments about the gifts rather than getting the point in which Paul is trying to say. So just in the, for the sake of time, for the sake of this service, let's just try to focus on the point that Paul is trying to make. Now, the reason why I want to be really careful with this is because if I preach this message wrong, instead of uniting the church of God, it will divide God's church. Why? Because if I start getting you to focus on each individual gift instead of how the individual gift fits into the whole, you could start thinking you're something because you have prophecy or you have this or you have this and you start honing in just on one individual gift. You start to miss the point and then all of a sudden we start to divide over our gifts. This church does prophecy well. This church does generosity well. This church does service well. This church does this gift well. And then all these churches start dividing with just having the same parts of the body instead of understanding how important it is for us to see this big picture. I don't want to preach this in such a way in which we start to divide into our gifts. Now, the other thing that we have to be careful of is I've heard this so many times pastorally, many people are trying to find, what's my gift? (laughs) So they take gift tests, Nothing wrong with that. I'm going give tests. They pray. They fast. They cry out to God. They get angry that nobody can help them see what their gifts are. Tell me what's my gift. Lay hands on me. Tell me my gift. Give me my gift. Tell me my gift, God. You're hiding it from me. What part of the body am I? I always just feel like the toe jam of the body. It's not fair. God, show me who I am. I've seen so many people hone in on who they are because they think if they can figure out who they are, then everybody else will be so impressed that they miss the whole point of this scripture. In Paul's writing, here's how he tells you to find your gifts. Use them. 
Isn't it interesting that you sit and think about it, you pray about it, you fast about it, you do all these kinds of things, and he just says, in your using, in your serving, in your serving of others, you will start to figure out what you're good at. You will start to figure out who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. And isn't it amazing that the people who are inactive are trying to find their gifts and the people who are just serving, their gifts emerge. Isn't it amazing that the Bible says your gifts will make room for you? That as you're serving and as you're doing, people will go, wow, you're really good at that. And you're like, it's true, I kind of like doing it too. Can, can I just put it as plainly as possible? If you want to find what your gift is, change your focus from trying to find your gift and have the heart of just serving. Serving the people around you, serving the people in your community, serving those who are around you. And as you are serving, you will begin to see how God has naturally gifted you by His grace. You want to know what this verse shows us? Not... Here's what prophecy is. Here's what, this, here's what this verse is trying to hone in on. There are no people who get to sit on the bench in the body of Christ. Everyone is to understand that they have a place. Everyone serves. Everyone fits. Everyone functions. Everyone does what they are given by God's grace to do. And everyone functions in a body differently, but when that body comes together, not one individual part gets the glory. It's the body of Christ reflecting their head, their Lord, their Savior, the one who deserves the glory, the one who, Anthony says, deserves the boasting. How do you find your gift? Start serving. Start getting in people's lives. Start going out of your way. Actually, here's how you find your gift. Stop focusing on stop thinking too highly of yourself. And just serve. This verse, this section of scripture is really trying to get us this. You need to be in a diverse body of believers, and you need to serve. See, people come to church for a lot of different reasons. Um, they like the music, or they don't like the music, so they don't, so, or they like the preaching for a while, or the people are cool, or they all got the same look, or whatever. People come to church for a varying different of reasons. One of them that I hear multiple times is people coming up to me and say, Pastor, man, you served a great meal preach that thing, man. I ate well. You fed me good. Then a couple weeks later, I'm just not getting fed anymore. Many people think that the whole responsibility and the place I need to go is to a church where I need to get fed. Hear me on this. I feel a great weight and a great responsibility to feed the sheep of this place. But hear me. John chapter 4 is an interesting text. If you want to study this later, Jesus is goes to a well, and he goes out of his way to go to this well, and, and he's sitting at this well, and he tells his disciples, go get me food. When, he go, when they all leave to go get food, the Samaritan woman comes. 
And he says, give me water. And they go into this whole exchange. And if you haven't heard that story, you should read it. Because in that place, Jesus prophetically, he uses his gifts. All of a sudden, I mean, he uses every gift. Discernment, encouragement, prophecy, all these things. And he exposes to this woman at this well who is very sinful, who's, who's known as a prostitute in her town, who's outcast by everybody who's around her. He brings to light that he is the Christ. He's the one that she should truly be worshiping. She runs back to her town and, and brings all of these people out, and they see, and there's this great revival. And then the disciples come back with a happy meal. They come back and say, Jesus, we got you your food. And Jesus says this, I already ate. And they said, who brought him food? And he said this, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. The lesson that needs to be learned inside of this is that I think we have made feeding the wrong thing. Scripture shows us that those who eat meat are those who are active. They need the meat to, kiss, to stay active. And those who are inactive are called babies in Scripture. They need milk. There comes a point in our walk with Christ where just sitting and listening to the Scriptures being taught and you just kind of, oh, this is so good. Eventually you're going to get to the place where you're not feeling fed anymore. Why? Because you're meat, your food, is to serve and to do the will of the one who sent you, who's called you to do something. And the realities of that are so many of us just think that just sitting and reading scripture and hearing scripture taught, that's what feeds us. And sure, there is a feeding element of teaching of God's scripture, but the reason why we need to hear his word is so we can do his word. So we can live this out, so we can serve others around us. Listen, you don't need me if you're inactive. At some point, we have to see what Scripture is challenging us to, and that's this. Be in the family of God with sober, humble judgment of yourself. Don't live life for yourself. Serve others. What do we learn from this? Just to hit the drum one more time, what do we learn in this? Be sober-minded. Live in covenant community. These redemption communities are the way that we do that. It's not just for us to just go, hey, let's give them something else they need to do. No, we try to give opportunity for people to get in covenant community where they can use the gifts that God gives to them and serve other people. The other thing we learn in this is that we need to enjoy the diversity of gifts that God has given to us. Instead of just wanting people around us who have the exact same thoughts and gifts that we have, we should desire having people around us who are different than us. I get really nervous when everybody wants a ministry just for their specific situation. You know you're going to grow out of that, right? You're not always going to be 
<laughs> you're not always going to be young. You're not always going to be old. You're not always going to be, you know, this is not how it's always going to be. Those kinds of situations change. And we go, I can only be around this person, people that don't have kids. And then you know someday you may have kids and then you're out of the group. <laughs> Why? Because we think the only people that can speak into our lives are those who specifically understand us. And this is the reality of what Scripture is trying to show us. Enjoy differences. Enjoy different gifts. Enjoy different people. Enjoy different thoughts. Enjoy this kind of community where people can come together and be and do and function as God has created them to be. And all of us are not expecting everybody to be the exact same way we are. Why? It's easy to serve yourself. It's called self-serving. So if you find somebody who's just like you, it's easy to serve them. But to serve those who are different than you is very humbling. And you have to remember, God gave me this gift by grace. He's given them these gifts. And together, we can fully reflect the image of God together as one. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us your word. We thank you for revealing to us by your spirit your word. Today we are asking that you would humble us. Let us see ourselves through your eyes. We won't think too lowly of ourselves, but we won't think too highly of ourselves. We'll have sober judgment. God, let us be a part of your body, a family. Very diverse group of people with differing gifts. God, I pray that inside of that we would use our gifts not to elevate ourselves, but to serve others around us. God, I pray that we would not be like, like the churches we see in this world, or those who call themselves a part of the church, where you just see superstars who are just rising up and elevating their gifts and they want everybody to look at them because look how great I am. But God, I pray our hearts would be just to serve one another with the things that God, that you've given to us so that you could be made great. God, keep us from this celebrity mentality. Lord, let us serve you as we serve others. Let us use our gifts. God, in the using of our gifts, would you show us who you've created us to be? Let us grow in the gifts you've given to us. And God, I pray that we would use them for your glory, for the good of others. God, let us enjoy diversity. In Jesus' name.